morning, church family. Hey, if you're here for the very first time, we welcome you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Just absolutely blessed the fact you came to join us today. If you're just visiting or if you're here and looking, checking out, uh, find a place where the Lord is guiding you to. We just, uh, again, just rest and just open your ears and your hearts off to receive what the Lord has for you this morning through his word and by his spirit touching you in that way. Hey, I'm excited. I'm, I'm, if, you're, if you're not familiar with, you know, first time here... I get to start my favorite book today, Second John. I hope it, if you find it's so just a, a one tea time teaching. I say it's only going to be one time teaching. It's only 13 verses. It's just a simple, nice little direct personal letter that uh, the Lord has given to uh, the Apostle John, we will see, and uh, the elder, as we see in the beginning here, writing to, uh, it, it's always been the mystery thread. Who is he writing to? And we'll, but we'll talk about that. But uh, let's just open up in prayer, and uh, and we'll get right into reading my favorite little letter here. Father, we thank you again. It, as we come, may we have hearts and our minds and our minds right, our hearts right, a desire to hear from you. We know by the power of the Holy Spirit, you can teach your word to our hearts individually speaking to us like you're speaking to us directly as you are so that our eyes will be opened no longer walking in any darkness any shades of darkness and soften our hearts lord that hearts that we have more of you and less of us that we die of self and live for you and i pray lord if there's anyone here today that has not given their life to you surrendered completely to you, been regenerated, born again experience. If that has not happened, Lord, today, I pray today you will just speak of your love for this person or for these people here in person or online, and that they would realize that you, the God of heaven, the Savior of the world, we ask this in your precious name, Lord Jesus, amen. If you would please open up your Bibles to Second. The second epistle of John, Second John. We're going to read the 13 verses, and then we're going to go through verse by verse and discuss what the Lord has for us today. The elder. To the elect lady and her children, whom I love in truth, and not only I, but also all of those who have known the truth because of the truth which abides in us and will be with us forever. Grace, mercy, and peace will be with you or with us, right? From God the Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of the Father, in truth and in love and love, I rejoice greatly that I have found some of your children walking in truth as we receive commandment from the Father. And now I plead with you, lady, not as though I wrote a new commandment to you, but that which we have had from the beginning, that we love one another. This is love, that we walk according to his commandments. This is the commandment that, as you have heard from the beginning, you should walk in it. 
For many deceivers have gone out into the world who do not confess Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh. This is a deceiver and an antichrist. Look to yourselves that we, you, me, do not lose those things which worked for, but that we may receive a full reward. Whoever transgresses and does not abide in the doctrine of Christ does not have God. He who abides in the doctrine of Christ has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this doctrine, do not receive him into your house, nor greet him. For he who greets him shares in his evil deeds. Having many things to write to you, I did not wish to do so with paper and ink, but I hope to come to you and speak face to face that our joy may be full. The children of your elect sister greet you. Amen. We see here, as we look at John's not only second epistle, but also ties into the third epistle, which will be the next book that we read. And we will see that when John is writing here, the elder, because it doesn't clearly state who, but as we know by the scripture, we know by the tone of the, of the letter and the connection, there's no question, there's never been an argument over who has wrote this letter. It was the Apostle Paul, Apostle John. Now, as we take a look at here, it's more like a personal correspondence more than a doctrinal teachings from the letter here. But it's this personal correspondence to the early church who he loved so much, we see. And because he loved them so, John deals with people's problems in the early church by addressing it with this simple letter. Even though we see in the very end that his desire was not to write this all out on paper and ink, but really rather been in person, right face to face, sitting down and having more of a personal connection of these things. Because even in the early church, like the church today, there are all kinds of problems. Where their people are gathered, they will be problems. That is the way it is. Oh, I love it how sometimes, well, I don't go to church because they're all hypocrites. Well, just come. You're one of them, too. So just come join us. God's working that out of you, too. God's working these things out. Oh, they're not very loving and friendly. Guess what? You'll fit right in sometime. Just come right. God will work in your hearts as well. Everyone has a different stages in their walk with the Lord. Don't use that as an excuse not to gather in fellowship. That's just an excuse that the enemy has tricked you or you've convinced that seems to work. It doesn't work here at Calvary Chapel. I don't listen to those excuses. Just choose to do what God's word does. As, as they gather here, they saw that he was such a beautiful thing. He, as he saw and as he heard and he watched these people that he's writing to, he sees that they're walking rightly. That means they're walking in love. They're loving one another. They're obeying God's commandments. That's what it means to, to walk in the ways of, of the commandments, to obey the word of God. He sees these things. And he's like, there's just nothing, but I'm filled with joy here. 
No greater thing as a pastor than to see God's people loving one another and actually obedient to the word of God. There's no other joy than that. I mean, there's others. But we see with John, the Apostle John, as he starts off here, John emphasizes a very simple general letter here in 2 John. It'll be much more specific when we get to 3 John. So those who have read ahead and read the other, you notice that it was a little more specific that he's going to address. But he has a desire, and he says, I desire for loving the truth. And since the truth will be with us forever, we must choose today and every day to learn to love his word. Because it's going to be with us through eternity as a child of God. And of course, all truth centers in Jesus Christ. There is no other center and foundation of truth but in Jesus Christ himself. The eternal Son of God. The one who came in the flesh. With whom we shall live forever. We see that clearly in John 14 verses 1 through 6. And it's a wonderful thing to be meditating on these truths daily, on the fact that we shall spend eternity surrounded by truth, not by all the fake stuff that goes on and around us today, not all the false things that are going on around, not all the lies that go around our lives today. We sometimes forget how much of that consumes that in our hearing of, of at work or on, on news or on... Uh, everywhere especially can it be in your own life there's just a bunch of lies in your life that needs to leave things that your facades and fakeness that you portray to people because you've got a cover because you don't want anyone to really know who you are these things must go as a child of God but the blessing is, is the fact that that will be gone. That is our hope and our promise. Once we're leaving out of this body, we're in presence with God in heaven, all of that ceases. All the fakeness, all the lies, all the, uh, uh, the, these secrets and all these secret agendas and all these secret you know, ambitions that are just ungodly that people don't know about, but it's in your little squirrely head. And those things will disappear. I don't know about you. I can't wait to be in a fellowship with God directly and not, you don't have to worry about any lies. No faking stuff anymore. You are literally in the presence of what is right and good and honest and praiseworthy. I can't, you and I can't even fathom that, can you? Because we get a glimpse of that as we come together here in the church and we're in a loving church and in a solid and unity church, we get a glimpse of that. And for many of us, we don't want to leave the day or any of the days that we get to gather together where there's two or more gathered in his name. We don't want to part that fellowship because it's so sweet. It's so good. It's so real. Why would you want to go back into the world of darkness? But we have to. Because we have to share the goodness, the good news to those who are living in that darkness. They have no idea what they could have as a child of God. So it's a wonderful thing to meditate on. 
that we would be spending eternity surrounded by truth, growing in our knowledge of truth, and serving the God of truth. John opened this letter here on this important note of truth because there was so much false teachers going on in the early church and still going on around here today. Oh, I don't encourage you to listen to all those little snippets that are always push your direction on the, on the internet. Because there's just a lot of teachers out there. Just because they have a lot of followers does not make that a good thing. But he opens this letter with truth. Because he's trying, because of the love that he has for these people that he's writing to, he's trying to encourage them, as a pastor should, to warn them and to encourage them to keep their eyes on Jesus. Because there's a lot of competing factors that go on to draw your attention away from the truth of who Jesus Christ is. And the lessons that we see in John's last two epistles here, especially here in 2 John, is a greater application to a congregation, to families, and into individuals. He starts here with a greeting in the very beginning, especially we see in verses 1 through 4, he kind of commends and he commends this, this elect lady that we see. And her children. He commends them that they, they, they're walking in truth. And he sees that in their lives. So he starts and says, the elder. He's speaking him, John. Not from more of an office perspective. The office of eldership. He's speaking from an age. Because he's about 90 to 100 years of age right now. He's the only apostle left. He's senior. <laughs> He's the only one standing. He's the only one that died of a natural cause. And God preserved his life all the way to the very end here. And he's writing these letters, encouraging the church and the people of the church, the church body. Then and you and I today. But he's writing, he says, to the elect lady and her children, whom I love in truth. And not only I, but also all those who have known the truth. That means there's a collectiveness there. Anyone who believes in the truth, believes in Jesus Christ, who he's referring to, he says, there's a love among all of us there. So he's encouraging this elect lady and her children, these people set apart from the world. There's just a love and truth going on here. And it's good and it's right. Two, verse two, because of the truth which abides in us, again, he's including an us here, and will be with us forever. He's encouraging and commending, oh, this is a good path. Stay on that path. Don't walk away from this relationship with Jesus and the truth of who Jesus Christ is. Don't walk away from the truth in love. Do not. You must stay focused because it is good is commendable. Now, as we take a look at here, perhaps this was an individual Christian woman that he's referring to. And he, John just wanted to, to warn this, this, this lady and her children and encourage them with a simple letter. Or 
The term might be a symbolic way of addressing a particular home church that's being held within her, in her house. A particular church congregation or the church being elect as well as a bride of Christ that the scripture refers to. John probably did not name himself in this letter. Why? Nor a specific name of this lady. Nor the children or the congregation or the home. Why? Many speculate. Perhaps John didn't want to expose anyone by name or the gathering together in someone's house or her children or anyone's children or the, or the body of believers that were gathering together. Because remember, at this point, there's tremendous persecution going on against Christians at that time. So maybe he was just like, if this letter gets out and people find out who I'm writing to, especially at the last apostles, they're going to come after him and there'll be tremendous persecution, probably death for that woman or that church family, uh, home, home fellowship or the children. So for, from a protective perspective, let me generally write this letter. Just in case. Authorities find out and lead them back to a particular home. And he says, whoever this elect lady was, she was loved by all who have known the truth. If we know and love the truth, we will love those who also know and love the truth. There's a bonding there. There's a unity that would happen. Sometimes you're like, why doesn't we not click it? Why don't they just seem to always seem we're just not... I'm not clicking in that, that church. I just don't feel comfortable in that church. I don't feel comfortable with that relationship with those people at church. I say, check your hearts. If you love the truth of God, you love the word of God, you love God's people, there should be tremendous unity. Which means... If you don't love the word of God, you don't love the people of God, you just want to do your own thing. You don't like hearing the truth of God spoken verse by verse, chapter by chapter, book by book, because it's just too much for you. Check your heart because your heart's probably not right with God. A, you're not, you're not saved. Or B, you are saved, but you're wanting to live cardinally because you want to live however you want to do like the rest of the world. And that causes a lot of conviction in the heart. That's why some people cannot handle the truth spoken, taught verse by verse. Because they don't want to give up what they want, don't want to give up. Even though they know enough to know that God's word says not to do. That it's going to hurt you. It's not going to be good for you. It's going to cause some challenges in your life and you're self-destructing. And all these warnings come to you because you know enough. Because you were raised in this religious environment your whole life. But I'm not talking about religion. <laughs> I'm not talking about religion at all. I'm not talking about organizations at all. I'm talking about a personal relationship and a growing relationship in with Jesus Christ, your Savior, the Savior of the world. That's who I'm talking about. And the Holy Spirit who is sent to you to live within you as a believer is to help you. And part of that helping is what? You forget this sometimes. Convict you. <laughs> to warn you. 
Don't think that way. Don't go down way. And oh, by the way, don't, don't, don't touch any of that. Because that is poison. That's just going to kill you. Don't touch it. The Holy Spirit's there to help you. There's conviction. Now, if you didn't get any conviction and you're out there living like the world and yours no conviction, that is very clear in the scripture. You're not saved. You need, to get, you need to get saved today. You need to surrender your life completely to Jesus Christ today. You just absolutely no question. You need to surrender. Because it's a miserable to be constantly convicted. Because we saw in a warning in 1 John, there's a time where what happens if God stops convicting you? And just turns you, your debased mind over. You want the world? You, you have, absolutely, after the 20th, 30th, 100th time I've tried to get and convict you to give your life, you say, no, 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 not now, not now. It's not good timing. What happens if he stops? And he turns you over to the debased mind that's killing you. Woo! That should just, goosebumps should be happening in some of you. But he loves you. His mercies are new every morning. And his grace can reach you. He reached me and reached some of you, all of you. He can reach you who have not given their life to Jesus yet. But this lady and his, her children, he's saying, I commend you. This is amazing. The truth abides in you, abides in us. It's, this is amazing. This is great. This is wonderful. And I, I'm so excited about writing this letter to you. But look at the fact that because of this lady he's writing to, or this church home fellowship he's writing to, and the children and all the people who are part of it, because we are the children of God, we are part of the family of God, we are the bride of Christ. What? It abides as us and brings us into unity with other believers. The reason, the only reason when you have division is because someone or somebody of both parties have chosen not to do it God's way. Why does a marriage dissolve or fall, fall apart? Because one or both are not doing it God's way. That's why there's disunity. There's not a conflict of interests or uh, we've gone our separate ways. We have things so differently. Well, it's one man, one woman. Of course you're thinking differently. God designed to think that way. But there should be a unity. And what is that unity in marriage? As long as well in the church, as long as well as between two brothers or two sisters, the unity always is the same. They're all, both are focused on Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior of their marriage. That is why. Which means you must die of self and live for Christ and do it his way. Then healing and forgiveness comes. When there's two squabbles between two men or two women and brothers and sisters, they were best friends and now they're a divisional. You must die of self and live for Christ. It will heal that relationship. That's how it works, my brothers and sisters. And notice at the very end, will be with us forever. The truth does not change. Just because a culture changes does not change God's truth. Just because you're changing doesn't change God's truth. Matter of fact, you should be changing in line with God's truth. 
You should be growing in, in understanding and knowledge, yes, but a changed heart, changed behavior, changed attitude, changed life. It should reflect that. But the truth does not change. The truth will be true forever, and we will have the truth forever in eternity. Many people today think that the truth changes from age to age. It does not. It changes from generation to generation. That's the latest. Oh, Gen X, Gen Z, Gen this, Gen that. You're genning up whatever you want to because you want to live however you want to. But you must bring it back to the truths of God and the word of God is our foundation of what we get from. That's why there's such an attack on the word of God. But many people find excuses not to follow the truth. But the Bible knows the truth. And that truth will be with us forever. And what's this based upon, John is saying here, to his readers, to you and I today? This is all because of God's grace and mercy and peace will be with you. That's not a question. It's a fact as a child of God. Grace and mercy and peace will be with you. Or in the original language, us will be with us. It meaning collectively, as he's referring to. Where does that, that grace, mercy, and peace come from? From God the Father. And from the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of the Father. It's the only place in the scripture that phrasing, the Son of the Father, is. Anywhere in the scripture is right here in first, Second John chapter 3, verse, verse 3. But the truth and truth in love. He presents it. John presents us to the readers, slightly expanding, just this greeting is expanding it that normally what he, he, what he does, but he doesn't wish these on just anybody. He's writing to believers. He's writing to those, his readers, to the confidence bestowed that comes from this knowledge and understanding and relationship with God the Father. Why do we have that relationship? Because of the Son who died, who's the Savior of the world, and it has the Spirit of God that comes in and makes sure we know the truth and love. And when we have this, you guarantee you can experience the grace, the mercy, and the peace that can only come from God. God has for us all given truth and love. But he also makes a point here that you and I cannot miss. Apart from God's truth and love, we can never really experience grace, mercy, and peace apart from that. You cannot. You will never. I don't sense the peace of God. Well, then, do you believe in the word of God? Are you abiding in the word of God? Are you, are you obeying the word of God? Do you want to know the word of God, the truth? Do you want that? Not really. I just need to know I'm saved from going to hell. My brother, my sister... That's not where, that, that's a starting point. Yes, yes, you're going, not going to, to hell anymore. But do you want still his grace, his mercy, and peace to fill your life? You must grow. You must grow in that love and love for the truth. And love, love the truth. You must, you must grow in that area. 
Keep showing up regardless of how you feel. You will finally will grow and mature in your walk as a child of God. But if you avoid the fellowship, you avoid reading his word, you avoid talking to God about these things, avoid talking about the things of God with other people, you're not going to grow. You're actually going to deteriorate. Because you never stay the same. You're growing or you are dying. In truth and love. John talks about love more than any other writer in the scripture. That's why he called him the, the apostle of love. He emphasizes not only love, but he also emphasizes the, the word truth more than any of the, of the scriptures as well. We see it something like 46 times in his writings alone. We see it uh, 26 times in the Gospel of John. We see it nine times the truth is mentioned in 1 John, five times here in 2 John, and six times in 3 John. He emphasizes in his ministry constantly what God did in his life, and that was what? Truth and love dominated in his life. He, that must be the most radical change in his life. He must have not been a very truthful man at one point in his life before Christ. And he probably wasn't a very loving man prior to Christ. And when God has flipped you upside down and now you love truth and not a liar. And you love people and versus just loving yourself. You will then tell everyone about the changed life in you. And he talks about in truth and love constantly. That must be what God really did in his life. Is that what God has done in your life? You desire truth now. You desire to love other people versus yourself. Do you? See, the apostle John keeps this miraculous concept of Christ in the forefront. Why? Because of the dealing with the churches at the time, the Gnosticism. Those who believe that Jesus did not come in the flesh, did not take on flesh and live. It was just an, almost like a phantom, a mirage, or, or a concept that was um, a, some kind of apparent kind of a quasi, but they didn't believe the fact that God Almighty could take on flesh. But understand, Christian truth and love, however, is very clear in the scripture. The fact that, yes, the worldly concepts and worldly thinking is so contrary to the word of God. Unbelievers often misunderstand Christian love and misinterpret from understanding that is, in other words, in darkness. We see that Paul mentions that in Ephesians 4.18. There's a darkness. People can have a darkness in their minds and see things from a dark perspective. Everything's coded based on a very dark perspective. So that's why the people have difficulties believing, have difficulties changing and, and growing and misinterpretations of Christ, of Christian love. Many times they will call uh, saying things to you and to me. Maybe they've said it to you. Aren't Christians supposed to be tolerant? Why aren't you tolerant with my lifestyle? 
Why aren't you tolerant with how I live my lives? That you're supposed to love people. How can you call yourself a Christian and judge me and my beliefs? Everyone's going to heaven, don't they? So they'll challenge you because you're confronting them because what they're doing in their lifestyle goes against the word of God. And so many people today, they call themselves Christians because you're confronting them with the truth of God. They do not like that. And they'll call you out like you are not a person of love. You're not to believe in the truth. They don't see truth and love in a form of confrontation as being compatible. And in an age of rampant political correctness, in an age of this, this moral relativism, many in the church often indulge or oblige them not wanting to offend anyone so you will not share the gospel you will not share the truth even though they call themselves a christian and you're like wait a minute you're a christian you can't be a habitual sin that's against the word of god you can't call yourself a christian and still love being in sin that just it doesn't go together wait a minute wait a minute, wait, wait wait what do you mean you can't judge me brother Yes, I can. The scripture tells me I can judge you. This whole passiveness that says you can't judge anyone, that tells, tells me that you don't know the word of God. When you see rotten fruit in someone's life, it's rotten fruit coming from one's life. When you see good fruit coming from someone's life, you know where they stand with God. So don't get caught up in these, this, this confrontational thing. You're not doing it out of love. You're not trying to beat someone over the head with the truth. You're actually genuinely, lovingly want to share how they can change by the word of God. And this relationship with God. You're not here to, to offend anyone. But telling the truth to someone who doesn't like truth is very offensive. The scripture says, darkness does not like light. And if you represent light, guess what's going to happen to you in the workplace? There are people going to hate you. And you've done nothing but show them kindness and gentleness and, and gone overboard to help them. But they will absolutely come against you. Why? Because they love darkness and you are light. Well, I've never had a conversation with them. This is a spiritual matter. It's just things you don't even see that's happening in a spiritual realm against principalities and darkness of this world that you and I don't see. We just see the effects of it. Now, don't get me wrong. Some of you have been demon-possessed. Some of you have experienced demon paralysis. You've experienced these things. It's more than something you didn't see. You've actually lived it. But you've been set free from it. See, they don't see it, but you see it. Christian love is misunderstood not just by unbelievers, but also sometimes by believers. The world tends to believe that love means tolerating everyone and anything. That's not true. The world tends to believe this. 
You're supposed to never speaking out against people's choices or beliefs. You're never supposed to speak out about that. And we see it, a conditioning that's happening in our world today to stop you and I from sharing the good news that people can be free from bondage of sin by sharing the good news of who Jesus Christ is. As simple as that, they are now will find ways. They're so emboldened today, they will actually try to kill you physically or they will try to ruin you career-wise or uh, goes on and on and on and on. We see it played out. That is so that it drives fear and apathy in you and my life. That's why they do it. When the enemy doesn't want to hear the, and have any light around, they will do whatever it takes to bring you into fear so you will say nothing. Or apathy, indifference. Whatever they do in their house is their house, it does, as long as it doesn't affect me. <laughs> oh, I need you to help you get over that 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 wrong thinking. If the enemy can destroy a family, it will destroy a community. If it destroys a community, it will destroy a nation. Cancer never destroys a little part of the body. Left unattended, left in, left part, and not cut out, it will destroy the whole body, bring to death. So don't sit there and go, oh, my kids, they're, you know, they're teenagers, they're growing through it. They, you know, we all went through this, and we just don't say anything. Don't, honey, don't say anything. Because you're going to get the kids really upset, and I can't deal with it right now. Oh, please, 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 please. You must share truth and love with your children. At a very early age, all the way up, as long as they're under that, uh, your roof, you have a responsibility as a parent to teach them the truth and hold them accountable to that truth regardless of how emotionally radical they get. You must share the love and accountability. Must. They're under your roof. Once they move out and they're no longer dependent on you, they're on their own. It's between them and God. <laughs> Especially when they get the age of accountability. But you have a responsibility. Because sadly enough, many Christians fall prey to this kind of thinking and expect and demand for you and me to have this blind tolerance we cannot we cannot be so fearful and so apathy so put in our places because people demand and expect you and me to be blind to the things that are going on. Because I assure you, God isn't. Where do you see that in, Pastor? Where do you see that in the scriptures? I can give you a lot of Old Testament. I'm only going to give you two in the New Testament to get my, my point here. Paul spoke against legalism. This religiosity. He spoke against legalism of the Judaizers on multiple occasions. You can go out there and study Paul's letters. He wasn't apathy. He wasn't fearful of the religious leaders. He boldly spoke out against it. Then we have Jesus, our perfect example. 
who spoke against the hypocrisy of the Pharisees and the Sadducees, we see in Matthew 23, verses 13 through 34. And again, religious leaders not doing it God's way. And they called them out on it. And again, yes, we must have a balance Balancing truth and love. We must balance that in our own lives, but also balancing it when you're deal- working with other people. Sometimes confrontation is not only valid, it's demanded as part of a love. If you did not love that person, you would say nothing. Perfect example is parenting. If you really love your children, you would confront them. You would discipline. You would make it clear the truth is the truth. You don't get to make up your own rules. Regardless of how emotional you get. Regardless if you're losing it in the house. Let me encourage you, my brothers and sisters, if you're dealing with challenges within the household of unbelieving children, God is with you. He will strengthen you, encourage you, and give you the wisdom to continue to be that example of light and salt for your kids. He will, if you do it his way. But find that balance. Yes, we're, we're taught not to provoke your children, dads, to, to wrath. But don't, kids, don't think, oh, my dad's provoking me to wrath. And, and you're not supposed to do that. Don't use scripture out of context. No, no, no. Don't do it. Dads, don't be submissive to your children or to your wife or wife to your husband because you're not wanting to. No, no. Keep the scripture in context. Then we see here, not only did he commend this elect women and children, the, this body of, of, of believers, let's call. But we see also he t- addresses their walking in truth here because not only are they really nice people, but are they walking in truth? That's a very important aspect here. And he says in verse 4, I rejoice greatly that I have, fa- I have found some of your children walking in truth as we receive commandment from the Father. It means he recognized God God was leading these people in their life. And they were responding to God's direction by his word, through by obedience. Walking in truth means you are being obedient to the word of God. If you're not obedient to the word of God, you and I cannot say that we're actually walking in truth. It's not complicated. The fifth graders get it. Third graders get it. I hope you as adults can get it. Just understand. Walk in truth. Ask God to help you to be obedient to this word by the power of the Holy Spirit every day. Because we have choices, will we or will we not? But he says, I rejoice because having this relationship with Jesus should affect every aspect of believers' life, and it affected these believers. He could see it in their life. I know you are obedient to the word of God. You love the word of God. Why? Because I see you walking in truth. I see it. Oh, that means he's judging, isn't he not? He's looking at these, this elect woman, these, these people, these children, and says, I'm judging. I see you walking in truth. I know you believe the word of God. You're being obedient. 
That's judging. And a very positive light here. Because Jesus will always affect change in your life. That, that relationship with Jesus always affects a positive change in one's life. What we believe should always affect how we behave in our daily life. And what comes out of our mouths and how we behave reflects where you're at in that walk in truth. Also make sure you model absolute integrity within the household. If he's speaking to this elect lady, she's doing it right because she models this truth and love to her children because now her children are also walking in truth and love. So you must model absolutely the integrity to your children and your grandchildren. Don't compromise on truth. Don't sit there and say, I know what the Bible says, but you know, we do it a little different here. No, 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 don't compromise. Why? Because what you're doing is these lies that you plant into your children's lives are seeds in their heart. You do not want to plant lies. You do not want to plant something that is, not, that is ungodly within the lives of your children. Because those seeds will be planted. They will eventually start growing. And guess who's the first one who's going to reap that harvest? You, parent. You. So John here praised his readers, rejoiced greatly in finding them walking in truth. There's nothing greater as for as a pastor to see someone walking in truth. To know that his people walking in truth, that truth is not only a concern for a pastor, but also it is a great concern because it brings great comfort to, to me as a pastor to watch you walking in truth, walking according to God's word, because I know there's blessing that's going to be poured out upon your life. That means if you're filled and there's just a blessing coming upon you, then as you fellowship with other people, God's going to use your life in the lives of other people who may not be saved or are saved, but they're struggling. There's a, just a beautiful thing that happens when, in, a, in a church. People who are walking in truth. It, is, it just spreads throughout the body as we gather together. The love you just can't contain. The truth you just cannot contain. But John rejoices here. Because when God's people are walking in truth... That means they also abide in God. Where did we see that before? We saw it back in 1 John 2, 24. The same, same idea expressed here. He says, Therefore let that abide in you which you heard from the beginning. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, you also will abide in the Son and in the Father. You will. Truth is not only important for its own sake, but also, our walking in truth shows we truly are walking with the Lord. It's just not lip service. Yeah, yeah, I know God. Yeah, 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 I'm walking with him. No, no, no. It will come out with not a question. The main fruit is love. That single fruit of love. Yes, 
I see the long-suffering in your life and the patience and, and kindness and gentleness and all the facets of that love, but love will dominate you. It will no longer be darkness and evil thoughts. Now he, John comm commands her to pleads with her. Look at verse 5. And now I plead with you, lady, not as though I wrote a new commandment to you. I'm not telling you anything different than I haven't already been teaching you and showing you. He says, but that which we have had from the beginning, that we love one another. So he commands him again, brings him full circle. Don't forget, love the people, love the people. Love the people. Yes, you love God, but you need to love the people. They go together. Love the God's people. Love God's people. He's commanding them to walk in that truth. You can't say you love God, but then don't love God's people. That's not, that is not accurate. So God, he pleads. He's, he's so humbled as a, an apostle. He humbles himself by saying, I plead with you. Please love God, yes. But please love one another. Why does he do this? I pondered on it again and again all throughout 1 John, and, I, and it kind of still hits me on 2 John. The reason why this pastor, this apostle, the great apostle John, is pleading with this, la this lady this, and these children, this, this group of believers, he understands if someone allows the enemy to come in and teach something falsely, what will happen to the body of Christ? Disunity. The love will grow cold between the people within the body of Christ. When you allow stuff in your life that doesn't line up with this truth of God, then the love of God will grow cold. For my life, I knew if I grew cold in any way in my love for God or love for God's people, I had something in my life sin that needed to go. And it may not be gross sin at all. It could be a simple disobedience to what God had called me to do. Corey, I told you, you need to go settle that with that person. You still haven't humbled yourself and gone settled that, 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 that discussion with your, your brother. You need to go do that. Oh, Lord, I know. I need to go. I need to make it right, reconcile. I need to forgive. Got to get rid of the bitterness. Because any of those things will cause you to grow cold in your relationship with God and with one another. So I think he, again, emphasizes, I plead with you. I'm not writing any new commandment. God's word is very clear. He commands us to love one another. And I beg you, don't let anything get into your life that's going to cause you this. Because when you look at truth and love, it is an unbeatable team. It is a winning combination. It is a powerful duo. A powerful thing in your life when you're walking in truth and love. There's so power. There's a power of the Holy Spirit living within you that is walking in the Spirit People are like, what is it about your life that is amazing? You can't help but see it in, his, in, in that person's life. But truth without love makes a person very harsh and very critical. You may have a lot of truth, but you don't have the love of God. You're a very critical spirited. 
You are very harsh. You'll always look for the smallest of things to attack that person on. If that's speaking of you, you have got to repent. You've got to come to the love of God. I know you know the truth. Satan knows truth. But even as believers, you know the truth. You've, you're, 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 you're saved. But if you don't grow in your love for him and love for other people, you become critically spirited. And you will cause division within the body, within the family, with, between friends. It's just that's how it works. But it's, it's solvable. But if you are all love without truth, which some of you will fall on to that, you're all love, 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 love. Did you hear what they just said to you? Oh, I love him, I love him. Isn't he, isn't he the greatest? Isn't she the sweetest? She just told you. I don't care. All love but no truth makes a person dangerous because he will allow spots or cancers to grow and problems to take root in his life or in his family's life or on his job or in the church. You've got to be very careful if you don't address those. But do it lovingly. That's why John pleads. Please, don't forget the commandment to love one another. I know I see it clearly. I know you know the truth. The words of the scriptures, you were quoting scriptures, you memorized scripture. You know it better than anybody. I got that, I got that. I know how smart you are, intelligent. I know, I know. But man, you're unloving. We must have both, my brothers and sisters. See, the integrity of our Christian life can be measured, can be measured by our love for one another. If you're truly living this Christian life, it is measured by the love you have for one another. We see that in John chapter 13, 35. And we studied in 1 John 4, verses 20 and 21. Verse 6. This is love. So he, he writes and actually makes it clear. This is love. That we walk according to his commandments. How do you love? They're obedient to the word of God. I follow the commandment. I follow. Not be out of a religious checklist, but my desire to please my heavenly father. Dad has laid it all out to me as a son and to me as a daughter. Here's what I have for you. This is what I need you to do. And out of love for your father, because you love him so much, you will be obedient and do what he asks you, even if you don't want to do it. You don't do it out of fear. You don't do it for any reason, because out of the love for God because he saved you. This is love, that we would walk according to his commandment. This is the commandment that as you have heard from the beginning, this is something not new. I keep repeating myself. This is what he said. I love this pastor. He keeps repeating himself. I like doing the same thing. Why? Because we forget the truths of God sometimes. He says, you've heard this from the beginning. You sh should walk in it. You need to obey it. You need to live it. It cannot be just words. It's got to be action. 
Remember, truth and love are married in both doctrine and action. John didn't mean that we love one another indiscriminately. Didn't mean that. Or blindly. Love, love, love covers a multitude, so you're going to be blinded by that. That's not what it means. You, there are boundaries that we're supposed to learn to set. Not indiscriminately just love everyone, even though they're heathens and, and, and literally wanting to destroy your life and, and, and trying to tear you up or your family up. There is boundaries you must set. But real love will always walk according to his commandments. See, a lot of people in the Christian world think Christianity is all about touchy-feely, love, 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 love. All vague, vague, vague feelings of just, oh, we're, we're, we're all Christians, we're just love. No, no, no. It's not only a genuine love, but it's also obedience and walking rightly in the truth. It's so, so important to the obedience to the word of God. Then, of course, like a pastor, he always warns. <laughs> always warning. That's what dads do. That's what pastors do. We're always warning. And he does it here in verses, starting here in verse 7, the warning against what's out there. He gives cautions here. He, he, he commended, he commanded, now he's cautioning him. Look right here. For many deceivers have gone out into the world who do not confess Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh. This is a deceiver and an antichrist. He's like telling his children, just know there are some really bad people out there on the street. You, and, and can actually try to come into your house. They, they like to break into the house. You know that you've got to be a warning. These are deceivers. They're antichrists. They go against the word of God and the truths of God. Be aware when you hear these people. Look to yourselves. Now he warns them. Take, take account in your own life first. Look at that. Look to yourselves. That we do not lose those things which we, we worked for but that we may receive a full reward. We're talking about eternal rewards here. So he's saying to them, to this, this, this elect, these, these believers, you must sta be standing in truth and love. You must be standing. It's so important. Because there's false teachers everywhere. It's a huge danger to the church. Then, and it still is today, false teachers separate love from truth. And in those days, remember, when those false teachers came, they were instructed as they went into towns, they made themselves known that they were Christians, they were pastors, they were teachers, and where did they get to go? They didn't have a building like this. They had home fellowships. So they're warning this, this elect woman and their children, be very careful when someone knocks at your door, says, hi, I'm a Christian, and I'm here to teach the word, they had an obligation of hospitality to bring those people into their house to provide for them and to, to take care of their needs of food and shelter and those things while they're in town so that they could 
teach the word of God. And, and then they moved on to the next town. He's saying to them, wait, wait, wait. I know you want to love everybody and you believe that all Christians are, that they say because they say they're Christians, they're trustworthy. Just because they're Christians, that they are actually Christians. No, 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 you need to have discernment here. When they show up, understand there are deceivers, there's antichrists, there's people who are going to want to creep into your home fellowship and say, I have a word from the Lord. Oh, no, 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 no. No, 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 you can't just stand up and say, I have the word from the Lord. No, no, he puts his word above anything else. There's appropriateness of time of that, but not right in the middle. You just don't get to share, especially if we don't know you. You don't just get to share because you've called yourself, you're a pastor and you call yourself an evangelist or you call yourself whatever. He's saying to her, be very careful. Don't open up your door to just anybody. Don't be provided because in when, when we say fellowship, you know, we get together and we all seem to look for what we can get out of the fellowship. But in these fellowships, it was when you walked in and you're even a stranger and you were taking care of you. They were looking to get, what can I give for you, give to you, to provide for you. So it was a very different, in the context, very deserving of hospitality just because they had white shirts on. Just because they're clean-cut young men with little black badges and they come knocking at your door. Do not let them in. We see the warning here. Because he says, check yourself, yes, verse 9, whoever transgresses, whoever goes beyond the word of God or adds to the word of God, is what that means here, and does not abide in the doctrine of Christ. They do not believe that Jesus Christ is God who came into the, uh, the flesh. That's what, that's what the, the, the many non-cultics, non, um, uh, these false anti-Christ type cults of, in the name of religion, they show up like that. On the outside, the veneer looks really nice and clean cut Christian young men. But the message that they have is anti-Christ. It goes against the word of God. It goes against who Jesus Christ is. Be very careful with that, he says. This deceiver will have this apparent connection of, of, of being a Christian, but they really do not believe Jesus Christ came in the flesh. Took on a body like you and I. So what does John say to them? We must confess that Jesus Christ is coming in the flesh. If they do not believe that he was coming and that he has come and will come back again, in the flesh, 100% deity, 100% God, 100% man. If you don't believe that, you are not to listen to them at all. He warns us against these antichrists in his first letter in 1 John chapter 2, verses 18 through 23, and chapter 4, verse 3. And he continues here again. Why? Because it was an ongoing problem in the early church. And don't forget the scripture. This forms of little antichrists and these false religions, these cults that are out there, will ultimately be fulfilled in how and when? When the, the antichrist comes into power. Who will lead humanity in the end times in a rebellion against God. 
But it, he warns them, look to yourself first. Beware. Take heed. There's a warning here. He says, you can, there's a danger of losing what has already been gained here. Satan is creeping like a thief. He's looking and has a lot of demon helpers. And they're looking for opportunities to get into that church, get into the home fellowship, get into that relationship, get into that house to divide and conquer and destroy. And he says, what does he say? What do, what, do you, what do you look to yourselves? What are we supposed to be not to lose? What is he talking about? Not losing those things we work for. It's a tragedy. When you hear the stories of different churches, a tragedy of the different denominations. It's a tragedy is when God's servants labored faithfully to build up the church, to teach the word of God, to get the word of God out and be faithful to the word and not adding, not deleting, but believing the word of God, that the word of God came from God. That is God breathed, is inspired of God. We focus and planted and planted and cultivated and did what God's called us to do. And it's so sad when all this God's truth and empowered by the Holy Spirit building the church is growing and it's healthy and it's loving and it's in unity. And then, because of tolerance, because of rules and regulations and bills of a man causes a church to walk away from the truths of God. Out of fear and out of abiding in Christ. Or an apathy. The enemy, the Antichrist, they filter into the church and they start praying on the weak. On the weak sheep. And eventually that denomination or that church becomes lukewarm. And eventually, as we see in the scriptures, not only do you get work, lukewarm, it will be then destroyed and that work is gone. Remember, this, was, this church was an abandoned church. This used to be filled. Since 1891, that fellowship was together in this community. Had to move three times to build, to have enough space, because they were growing. And then they walked away from the word of God. That's what I believe. And it had to be abandoned. Because once you walk away from the word of God, people leave. And if they're not, if they're not going to leave on that, then what happens is the, the leadership of that church will then start trying to entertain the sheep. And if they're not entertaining, they're looking for giveaways and any gimmicks to try to keep you to come. That is not a healthy church. God's word says to abide in his word. He builds the church. And when you take him out, the church dies. That's why we will not compromise on the word of God. I'm not going to give you a 15-minute sermonette to entertain you with the rest of the time with work, music. That's not even their music's not even in line with the scripture. If that's what you're looking for, I hope it's not. I hope you really want to learn the word of God. I hope you really want to be a part of a fellowship that is around people who love the word of God and love each other in truth. And in love. Because then you belong to a vibrant, growing, healthy body. He says, watch out. Things can happen. God's servants must one day give an account to the ministries 
and they want to do what they want to do, they're going to be held accountable, don't forget. I hold that very clearly in my mind. I don't get to do what I want to do because I'm held accountable to God, what God wants me to do with the body of believers. We see that warning in Hebrews 13, 17. It is absolutely essential that we hold fast to the truth of the word of God and loving one another. If not, whatever transgressions does not abide in the doctrine of Christ, you start walking away from the word of God because Jesus is the word of God. If you start walking from the word of God, you're walking away from Jesus. You're in deep trouble. You're transgressing. You start going beyond the word of God. It is not a good thing. Then he gives instructions here in verse 10 and 11. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this doctrine, do not receive him into your house, nor greet him. For he who greets him shares in his evil deeds. Wait, 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 wait. I just, I just invited the Jehovah Witnesses in the house to talk to him, try to share the gospel. Be very careful. If you're not strong in the word, they're going to have to bring plants some seeds in you that go against the word of God because they do not believe in Jesus Christ is the son of God. And he came in the flesh. Don't believe that. But even beyond that, even if you're strong and you can handle it, just know when they walk out and go to the next neighbor, the next neighbor's using your name says, well, they let me in the house. They sat down and had a great conversation. They will use you as a pawn to get into someone who's a non-believer or a weak believer, your next door neighbor that you've been ministering to. And now you've been planting seeds about loving Jesus and they walk right in and they, get, they convert them into the cult. Be very careful. It says here in the scripture, do not bring them in. Do not greet them. Do not provide for them. Do not share the gospel of what you believe in who Jesus Christ is. And when they look at you like you're, I, I don't believe you, then say, have a great day. Don't say God bless you. Don't bless that. That's it. Don't bless anything that they're doing. We're not to say any of that. We just need to be praying for them because they have been deceived. You get around to share the, if you're strong enough to share the truth, please do. But don't take them in and start sharing your life like they're, they, they, well, you, you just believe in a kind of quasi, kind of a, we all believe the same thing, right? You, you, believe, you, 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 you believe there's Jesus? Yeah, I believe in Jesus. And all the false cults will tell you there's a, there's a person by the name of Jesus. Even Satan will tell you that he knows who Jesus is. But they're not followers of Jesus. They haven't surrendered their life to Jesus. So find that balance when you're dealing with Mormons and Jehovah Witnesses and all these other cults who do not believe in who Jesus Christ is according to the Bible. Share the gospel, lead them, try to lead them to Christ. But then when they realize they're hard and they're not, just let the Spirit of God at work with them. You just not, don't mess with them anymore. Just see what the Lord's going to do. Let me touch, I know I'm over time. Nothing new under the sun. But let me share one, a couple of last thoughts here. I don't want to pass shares in evil deeds. In the late 19th century, there was a rise in a um, theological liberalism. I'm not sure if you know that term or not. 
And they brought forth, since that 19th century, four generations of pastors and leaders and theologians who went off to seminary schools and learned all kinds of things about liberalism. And they brought this, these things. Once they got out of seminary and stuff, they, they got the little degrees and they went out into all these different churches and started spreading not the word of God, but they started questioning the word of God. Because that's what theological liberalism does. It's, a, it's, a, it's, it's taking this veneer of Christianity and evaluating and reevaluating the doctrines of the scripture in light of what? They put science over God's word. They put philosophy over God's word. They put the worldly thinking over God's word. And they said, if it doesn't line up with what the science or the big deep psychological thinkers are thinking or the psychology of that day of the human behaviors that we call behavioral health today if they don't line up with what they're teaching then the word of God must be wrong and that's what's creeped in since the 19th century into the church that's why the church is dying they've rejected the idea that the doctrine was true that the word of God was simply true because the truth came from God and him and him alone. They believed that the Bible was not inspired message from a real God, but that the work of men who were limited by ignorance or superstitions and they wrote this book and, and it, does, it conflicts and it doesn't, you don't have to even read the Old Testament, it doesn't apply, it goes on and blah, 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 blah. And that's what creeps into many of the churches today. The importance of the Bible and its message was not in its literal or historical truth, they believe. They questioned and planted doubt in the minds of people and that's why people do not follow the word of God and apply it to their life, like their life depends on it. That is a warning to you and I as well. You must believe that the word of God is, came from God. Some people, I don't believe that. Well, then you don't believe that God created the heavens and the earth then. I'm talking to a non-believer Regardless if you say you are a believer, you're a non-believer. You need to come to Jesus today. He ends the letter here to the lady with comfort. He now he warns them, sometimes you have to, as a pastor now, let me bring you comfort. Let me bring it down a little bit here. And he says to her in the letter, having many things to write to you, I do wish to do so with paper and ink, but I, I hope to come to you and speak face to face that our joy may be full. It is great to receive a letter. It's a great to receive texts. It's wonderful to get that card in the letter, in the mail. But there's something about when you're sitting down and you see eye to eye to people and you're fellowshipping and love. There's nothing greater. That's why God says, do not forsake the fellowship. And that's why he says in verse 13, the children of your elect sister greet you. Amen. I think it's a code word in many respects. 
hey, I've, I've been working with other of your sister churches, your other home fellowships, and they want to make sure, as they did in the scripture, always say, when someone's traveling and says, hey, I'm writing to you or I'm showing up, hey, the church I just came from, they send their love. They love you. They want to be around with you, but I'm just the messenger letting you know how much they love you from the other church. What a pastor gets to do those kinds of things. Let this be a reminder to you and me from the sacred correspondence that we read today. Be alert. There are many deceivers in the world, but be ready to speak in truth and love to them about the gospel. Amen. Father, we thank you and praise you for this day. We thank you, Lord, for allowing us to just spend time here. A small, brief moment of our day, small, brief moment of our week that you've granted allowing us to gather here in person, yes, and online, for those who are not able to make it. Lord, I pray a blessing, Lord, that you would bless every here today in the days to come, that their desire, their love for you would just grow deeper, and their love for their brothers and sisters in the Lord go deeper, and that you they allow you to just, by your power of the Holy Spirit, transform the way they think, and allow that to line up with your commandments of your word. If there's anyone here today that the Lord has spoken to and revealed to you, you need to give your life to him to be saved and be forgiven of all your sins. I'm going to give you an opportunity. I'm not going to call you out. Just raise your hand because I want to pray for whoever God has touched in your heart right now and you're crying out, God save me. I know I'm a wicked Man, a wicked woman, I know I'm, I haven't been following your commandments. I haven't been following you. I haven't really, I've been, I know of you, but I just didn't know you personally. I want to know you personally today and this day forward. If that God is speaking to you and you're asking for forgiveness of your sins, God says he will forgive you if you ask. If you surrender your life, he will save your life. If there's anyone here today, raise your hand and I want to pray for you. God bless you back there. God bless you. Anybody else? God bless you over there. God bless you. Uh, Lord, you're touching the lady's heart. These two ladies just completely want to give their life to you. Praise the Lord. Anybody else? Raise your hand. Make sure it's high enough so I can see you and pray for you. God bless you there. I see your hand. He sees you. He loves you. God bless you over here. See, God bless you. God bless you. All right, two ladies, two men. Who else is God touching here this morning? If anyone's touched, God's touching you online, please make sure you send us a message. Let us know or come by and see us. We want to pray with you for you and give you something for your decision to follow Jesus today, to help you grow in your knowledge and understanding of who he is his love for you. Does anybody else want to give their life to Jesus? Father, we thank you for touching the lives of these four people that I know of, but maybe some didn't raise their hand, Lord, for out of fear or whatever. But I know you're speaking to their heart and they're crying out in your, their heart to you for the forgiveness of their sin. 
that your finished work on the cross, you died for all of their sin, past, present, yes, even future. You have paid it all, the full price of all their sin. You took their place on that cross. And we celebrate today. This is a celebration. We know in the scripture the angels are celebrating of the decisions, these four people who gave their life to you, that angels are celebrating knowing now they're no longer in bondage, but they've been set free and can live for you for eternity. We thank you and praise you for your grace and your mercy and Holy Spirit touching the hearts of these four people. May you just richly bless them, encourage them, and all the junk that just fade away and more of you comes in and the peace, the, the grace, the mercy, and your peace said you would fill their lives for the first time as new believers. What a blessing to see your work in the lives of your people. We thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. And we all said, amen. Can we give a